Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Welcome, my name is Caitlin. One of the things I love so much about downtown is the sense of community that we have and just the love and togetherness that you feel in the room. I love that we are so excited to see one another that it's really hard to rein it in on the other side of the question of the day. Why don't you find your spot? And I will move us into our teaching for today. Welcome. It's really, really good to be together. And it is really wonderful to be standing what feels like on the precipice of Advent today. When it comes to the Advent season, we all bring our unique set of emotions and feelings to the weeks that are to come. Some of us come to Advent this year filled with joy, anticipating the connection of friendship and family love. Some of us this year come to Advent exhausted and perhaps looking for a moment of peace amidst the pressures of our daily demands. Some of us maybe even are coming to Advent this year apprehensive. We're entering into a season actually that is filled with pain, with grief, with lament, with sorrow, rather than the delight we feel we should have at this time. And some of us, if we're honest, come to Advent ambivalent, maybe even doubtful or unsure. And yet, as one scholar writes, despite it all, Christmas comes. Whether we wish it or not, whether we are sure or not, we must hear the words once again, Christ the Savior is born. So during Advent, God's people are called to remember and unveil the mystery that Christ has come and Christ will come again. In the more liturgical expressions of church, this is actually a beautiful core and response element that's woven into the services of God's people where they gather together. And so I'm going to just do this for us today. I'm going to say Christ has come as a declaration of hope, as Taylor and Annie shared. Christ has come and we wait as hope-filled people because According to the canon of scripture, he will come again. So I'm going to say, Christ has come, and you are going to respond and call back to me, Christ will come again. Can we do that? Okay, amazing. I love your enthusiasm. All right, light downtown. Christ has come. Amen. Beautiful. So as we open the scriptures and return to this beautiful telling of the coming of Christ, Our prayer for our community is that this would be so much more than a mechanical experience that's reoccurring simply because the calendar demands it. So I want to just create a moment from the outset for us to stop and to hear the beauty and the splendor and the wonder and the glory 
of what we are declaring once again. So I want to invite you to close your eyes, and if you want to, you can put your hands out. Just as we prepare our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and our spirits to receive the good news of Jesus Christ in you, as we prepare ourselves to receive Christ. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. Heavenly Father, we hear these words today and we want to receive them anew. Whether it is for the first time or for the 70th time, we open our hearts to Christ who has come and the Christ who will come again. By the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, open our hearts to receive him, that we may be like those first disciples of whom it is written, amazement seized them all. They glorified God and were filled with awe. Amen. For generations, God's people anticipated the coming Messiah. We read about this all through the Old Testament, this building anticipation that the rescuer, God, would come, a savior would come to pull his people out of the effects of sin, Satan, and the work of the evil one in the world around us. But the delight of Advent is that not only is God the Messiah, the great rescuer, the delight of Advent is that this Messiah, this King, is also Emmanuel, God with us. So more than 2,000 years ago, God came near, not as the anticipated Davidic warrior clothed in political might, but as one who was vulnerable enough to be placed in a manger. John Piper writes that the road to Calvary is downhill, not because it gets easier, but because it gets lower. The Savior's life starts low and ends lower. This is how the Savior saves. This is how the Messiah fulfills all the promises. This is how the Lord reigns from infinite deity to feeding trough to final torments on the cross. And so it is in the company of the unlikely that the most wonderful story ever told takes place. Over the next four weeks, we're going to retell the story from four unique perspectives, starting today with Mary. As we do this, we believe, we pray, and we trust that wonder would grip and seize our hearts afresh. And that like the heavenly host, we would be a people, a community, who would say, glory to God in the highest. So that's our prayer, and that's what we've entitled these four weeks of Advent, Wonder. Because the story of the Messiah, who is not only the king, but the king with us, Emmanuel, is the most wonderful story we will ever hear. 
and it has the potential power and potency to fill our hearts with awe as we gaze upon the king who was laid in a manger. Eugene Peterson writes that wonder is the only adequate launching pad for exploring the fullness and wholeness of human life. Once a year, each Christmas, for a few days at least, we and millions of our neighbors turn aside from our preoccupations with life, reduced to biology or economics or psychology, and join together in a community of wonder. The wonder keeps us open-eyed, expectant, alive to life that is always more than we can account for, that always exceeds our calculations, that is always beyond anything that we can make. So I'm going to invite you to stand as I read for us today from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. And the reason I'm asking you to stand is that we might posture ourselves to hear these words, to receive them, and as a sign of reverence for the Holy Scriptures. And as we stand together, I pray that the Spirit of God would deposit something in us, that he would open our ears afresh, and we would become this community of wonder. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. Gabriel predicts Jesus' birth. I think I might have got a different translation. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. The angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative, Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Out of this account in Luke chapter 1, we learn a lot. And we learn a lot from Mary we learn from her responses. And today, what I want to do out of this passage is draw out four responses that we see in the life and the heart of this woman whom God appeared to and called a favored one. 
Firstly, we see that Mary perceives, she then participates, she then praises, and finally, Mary ponders. So firstly, Mary perceives. The announcement of Jesus' birth is told in the midst of a preceding story in Luke's Gospel, and it's the announcement of John the Baptist's birth. In Luke's account, we read, and it's going to be on the screen for you just so you can see this visually. If you're a visual learner, I'm sure it will help. So in Luke's account, we read that an angel of the Lord appears to an old priest, Zechariah. He is childless because his wife, Elizabeth, is barren. He is troubled, and the angel tells him, do not fear, for your prayers have been heard. He is told that he will bear a son to be called John. The angel says that he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. His mission will be to prepare the way of the Lord. Zechariah then asks the angel a doubtful question. He says, how can I be sure of this? And then we read and learn that he is silenced for his unbelief. The child grows in Elizabeth's womb. Following this account and this appearance of the angel to Zechariah, Gabriel appears to Mary. In the same way, we read, an angel of the Lord appears to Mary who is childless, betrothed to Mary Joseph, who is a descendant of David. She is troubled, and the angel tells her, do not fear, for, she, for you have found favor with the Lord. The angel tells her that she will conceive a son who will be called Jesus. She's told that he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will be conceived through the Holy Spirit. His mission will be to reign forever. Mary then asks a question, but she asks a faith-filled question rather than a doubtful question. She says, how would this be since I am a virgin? She is praised for her faith and the child grows in her womb. This literary structure is called a chiastic structure. It's a literary device that presents a set of ideas that are repeated or, in fact, mirrored back to the reader. And often at the center of, of a chiasm or a, chias, a chiastic structure is a unique idea that by virtue of its placement in a very intentional, skillful literary device is emphasized. The incarnation of the Son of God is the most astonishing and world-altering event in human history. And it comes not to a great city or region of power, but rather to a young woman living under occupation in obscurity at a time that it was very hard to be a woman. And of all people, she is called favored one, which seems contradictory given her context. Yet this is the verdict of God, who is Emmanuel, the decree of her, of her Lord, who is with her. God saw it fit to call her favored one. And Mary is able to perceive that she is indeed a favored one despite her context because God was with her. 
And unlike Zechariah who asked, how can this be? She asks, how will this be? Mary's reaction to the angel's announcement was not one of fear. It was not one of doubt, but it was one of thoughtful questioning. In response to the will of God, she is marked by faith. And this sits at the center of that chiasm. It's this turning point that's emphasized. It's a surrendered yes. So the center of Luke's account is a woman who sits in a very complex, very difficult context, yet is called a favored one and who offers to the Lord a surrendered yes amidst the surprising appearance. For generations, Mary's people had groaned for freedom. Freedom from political oppression, freedom from spiritual devastation, and freedom from moral depravity. With the understanding that there was injustice around them and within them, they longed for God, their Savior, to return and to make things right again. Mary was waiting on this promise from God. She was waiting on the fulfillment of what the Lord had said, what he had given to her ancestors, one that could be traced all the way back to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. There was a growing longing, a growing groaning as the people of God waited to see the fulfillment of all the Lord had promised. Something in Mary perceived that God was drawing near in this moment. And these long-anticipated prophecies were, in fact, coming to fruition. Something in Mary was able to recognize at the angel's appearance, it would be as God had said. He would do what he had promised. And so in a miraculous and unexpected way, God would house himself in her womb to dwell among his people and then reign forever. We see from Mary's response that she was able to perceive the coming of Jesus Christ. And although God did not need to use her, at her surrendered yes, within the complexity, within the surprise, within her difficult context, history pivots. She responds, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. This is a declaration into the the longing of generations. I am your servant. May your word be fulfilled. She was able to perceive the coming Christ. Secondly, Mary participates. Mary literally embodies the call of Romans 12. And she offers up her body as a living sacrifice to be pleasing and holy to God. It is indeed her spiritual act of worship. Just like the glory of God hovered over creation and just like the glory of God came to rest on the tabernacle, the glory of God overshadowed Mary and Christ was born as the seed of God the Father embedded into human history. Unlike the gentle, Gentile myths of the God's impure relations, God rests upon Mary in purity, and Christ is miraculously conceived within the Virgin. 
And importantly, he is the son of God as a result, not the son of Joseph. John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us, And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Friends, we know Mary's name, not because she is wise or strong or wealthy. We know Mary's name because she was faithful to obey. In her costly participation, Mary chooses to irrevocably, unchangingly tie both her life and her reputation to her conviction regarding who God is and who the Messiah is. She does not only say, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. She actually gives herself to live that. And in so doing, she carries God to a generation. The redemption of creation, Jesus Christ, is then held in her arms. The glory of God is then swaddled under her care. And the fulfillment of every longing literally grows up under her watchful gaze. In a profound way, through her participation, Mary is most like the God in whose image she is made. Why? Well, Alison Woodard writes in a poem entitled, God, Our Mother. To be a mother is to suffer. It's to travail in the dark, stretched and torn, exposed in half-naked humiliation, subjected to indignities for the sake of new life. To be a mother is to say, this is my body broken for you. And in the next instant, in response to the created created's hunger, this is my body, take and eat. Thirdly, Mary praises. After the angel visits Mary, she hurries to Zachariah's house where she meets her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth then spontaneously blesses Mary in joy that she would bear the Messiah. And Mary replies, bursting out in song herself with a song that is known as the Magnificat, which is quite literally mean, it means to, it's a, it's a song of glorification. It's a song of, of wonder, gazing upon the magnificence of God. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, we read her song. Mary says, in response to all that God is doing, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." 
This song that Mary declares is laden with echoes from the Old Testament. It's laden with echoes of Old Testament praise to God. And in fact, these words are actually inspired by Hannah's song, which she sings after God gave her a child. This is a cry of exaltation to God. It's followed by reasons why he is to be praised. And after a few short reasons for her own thanksgiving, Mary tells of all that God has done, not just for her, but for all of his people, past, present, and even future. This is her declaration. God remembers his promise for a thousand generations. He is faithful and true. So Mary's encounter with God results in her praise of God. She sees that his mercy is both for her, she says he looks on me with favor, and she sees that his mercy is for all. She sings that his mercy is from generation to generation. And indeed she can say with confidence that his word is fulfilled in the coming year of Jesus Christ. Finally, Mary ponders, Jesus the Messiah is incarnate God, God clothed in human flesh, God who has quite literally torn open the heavens and come down to be with us, his people. After the shepherds leave following the birth of Christ, we read in Luke chapter 2 verse 19 that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The word used to treasure here is the same word that's used in Luke chapter 5 and in Matthew 9 when Jesus speaks about new wine being poured into new wineskins to be preserved, to ferment, to increase in potency. St. Augustine marvels at Mary and he rightly weighs her life. He says that ultimately it was more important that Mary house Christ in her heart than in her womb. So from the pages of scripture, Mary's life emerges as a witness for our shared longing, the collective longing of God's people. It is a life fully satisfied in surrender, ongoing surrender. Perhaps Mary was able to house Christ in her womb because she first housed him, the promise of the Messiah, in her heart. There, the promise of the coming rescuer could be preserved. It could ferment and it could increase in potency, enabling her to say, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. After a thousand small yeses over the entire span of her life, Mary could then give that great yes to the Lord because the promise of the Messiah had been resting in her heart able to increase and grow, ferment, increase in power and potency. So if these are four responses that we see through Mary's life, that she was able to perceive the Christ, that she participated in God's plan of redemption for all, all the world, all of humanity, all of creation, if she then responded to God in praise after an encounter with him, and if she pondered who he was in her heart, we then, friends, have a similar invitation this Christmas, this Advent season.
You see, while Jesus is the central figure of history, he also wants to be the central figure of your life and of my life. So we are invited anew this year to see Christ sitting at the center of history, but we are also invited lovingly by the Father to place him in the center of our own lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes that no priest, no theologian stood at the manger of Bethlehem and yet all Christian theology has its origin in the wonder of all wonders that God became human. So I want to ask us today, this Christmas, will we bend our knee at the mystery of the divine child who is swaddled and placed in a manger? Will we see Christ at the center of history and will we place him in the center of our lives as we come to the manger? Will we allow this divine mystery to fill our hearts with wonder that we might see the Messiah for who he is, not only the king ruling and reigning, but the king who has come to be with us He is a God for all, but he is also a God for you. He is the God of the corporate, and he is the God of the individual. So like Mary, our invitation is then to perceive, to participate, to praise, and to ponder. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. We read it this morning. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Friends, Jesus is this child. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is our mighty God. He is the prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. The government rests on his shoulders. Do we perceive him? Do we see him for who he really is? As we retell the story that God has come near over these four weeks, will we celebrate him rightly? And that begins with how we see him. Bonhoeffer writes that in order to celebrate Christ correctly, in order to to be a people like Mary who perceive that Christ has indeed come, it begins by laying down all power, all honor, all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, all individualism beside the manger. Will we do that? Will we lay all things aside? How do we do this? We remain lowly and we let God alone be lifted high. We do this by looking at that child in the manger, by turning the eyes of our heart upon Jesus to see the glory of God precisely in his lowliness. This is the wonder, the surprising joy of Advent that the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the one who carries true government has humbled himself, clothed himself in flesh 
and been placed in a manger amidst animals and those who are barely even known by society. Mary perceived Christ, the promise fulfilled. At her life, history changes, it pivots. Will we be like her? Perceive Christ, who is the promise of God fulfilled. And will we join her? And will history change and pivot at our lives as well as we declare he alone is to be lifted high? Will history pivot because we are a people filled with wonder who bend our knee and make ourselves lowly that he might be lifted up high above all of history, all governments, all systems, all power, because he is the king. Will we join Mary and say, God, I am your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Secondly, like Mary, we are invited to participate. So Mary participates in God's story of redemption through Jesus Christ. She carries God to a generation. She bears God to a generation and becomes most like the God in whose image she is made. She, she suffers like Christ suffered on the cross. She travails in the dark like Christ travails victoriously against the rulers of darkness. Mary is stretched, torn, exposed, and humiliated so all men might have life through the one that she births. While not all of us are mothers, and while not all of us will be mothers, we are all a pregnant people because we can bear and carry Christ to a generation. Anyone who has received Christ as Lord is pregnant with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 verse 16 to 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. While Mary was not known for her wealth or her strength or her wisdom, she was known for her obedience. Friends, we will not be known for our wealth, our strength or our wisdom, but may we be known for our obedience to the king. Will we join Mary as pregnant people and carry God to a generation Though we may suffer, though we may travail, though we may be stretched and torn, exposed and humiliated, may we be a people who courageously join the redemptive story of God. May we not only look on with wonder, but step in with wonder, extending the blessing of his rule alongside the saints of history and alongside Christ himself. We are made in God's image, but we are also to image after him and do what he did. Will we be a, t a people that irrevocably tie our life and reputation to our conviction? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Just one last quote from Bonhoeffer this morning. When God chooses Mary as the means, when God gives himself 
Sorry, I think I've made a typo here. When God chooses Mary as a means, when God himself wants to come into the world in the manger of Bethlehem, this is not the idyllic family affair. It is instead the beginning of a complete reversal of new ordering of all things on this earth. If we want to participate in this Advent and Christmas event, we cannot sit like spectators in a theater and enjoy all the friendly pictures. Rather, we must join in the action that is taking place and be drawn into the reversal of all things ourselves. Like Mary, we are to perceive, we are to participate, we are also to be a people that praise. While Eve is the first and unique recipient of deception, Mary is the first and unique recipient of redemption. She has a unique encounter with the Lord, and her encounter with him results in praise. Mary's song, the Magnificat, is the joyful response of a woman who has seen God and is obedient in these surprising places. It is the song of a woman who can see surprisingly God has come near to us. But this God of surprises has not only come near to all people, he has come near to her specifically as an individual. God interrupts history and appears to the lowly, the humble, and the hungry. He hovers, he heals, and he heralds a kingdom where the weak dethrone the strong, the humble scatter the proud, and the lowly are lifted up. This is the good news of great joy. Friends, not only has God come near with, with, with like shouts of great news for all people, he has come near for you. In whatever context you find yourself in, he has come near to you in your pain and in your broken heart. He has come near to you in your sin and in your shame. God has come near to you in your doubts and your worries and your concerns. God has come near to you when it feels impossible. God has come near to you. He is there. The scriptures say, I stand at the door and knock. He has come near. In an encounter with God, will you see what he has done? That he has not only redeemed all of history, but he has redeemed you. And will you become a person of praise? Will you be like Mary and see that his mercy is for us and his mercy is for all? Will you be like Mary and hide the words of scripture in your heart and then turn them into your own songs of everlasting praise as you say, yes, God, may your word to me be fulfilled. It has and it already is and it will be fulfilled when Christ returns. For indeed the mighty one has done great things. Will we be a people who praise Emmanuel, God who is with us? Finally, will we be a people like Mary who ponder, who treasure up all the promises that are fulfilled in Christ, who hold them in our hearts? Like Mary, we are pregnant people. We are also waiting people. We have declared Christ has come, but the scriptures tell us Christ will come again. And so we are a waiting people. Like Mary and Elizabeth, you and I must wait together. But we wait 
like Taylor and Annie shared, as hopeful people. We do not wait as those who do not have hope because we know that Christ will come again. We wait full of joy. We wait full of the Holy Spirit. And we wait convinced that the Lord will fulfill what he has spoken. And as we wait, the promise of Christ can grow and swell amongst us. One theologian says, if the wonder of Christmas cannot ignite something within us, then it must be that the glow of the divine has been extinguished in our heart and has died out. So this Advent, friends, our charge is to stoke that fire within, to, to blow on the embers, to go stand before our Father and say, God, won't you blow on the embers of my heart that the glow of what you have done, the wonder of Christ, Emmanuel, would never die out, but actually by the wind of the Spirit, it would be fanned into flame. Augustine writes, you never go away from us, yet we have difficulty in returning to you. Come, Lord, stir us up and call us back. Kindle and seize us. Be our fire and our sweetness. Let us love. Let us run. And so like Mary, we are to treasure up all these things and ponder them in our hearts. We are to preserve the promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we are to invite and allow the glory of God to ferment in our hearts, increasing in power and potency that we might be a people who finally say, I am your servant, God. I'm yours, Lord. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'd love to invite Grace up because we're going to close. But as we do so, I want to invite you to allow the living God to pour that fresh wine into a new wineskin so that we can be the type of people who, who, like Mary, house Christ in our hearts and then emerge as witnesses this Advent season, witnesses who are able to declare something has begun, that we can be those who say with confidence and conviction that Christ has come and Christ will come again. So I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. <clears throat> and I'm going to ask us, can we say that call and response liturgy again and receive the power of this truth? Light downtown, Christ has come. Can I do it that again? Christ has come. Amen, he will. Mary perceived, she participated, she praised and she pondered. And that's our invitation. So I'd love to pray for us before we enter into worship. Maybe for you, this is the first time you are beginning to feel that, that glow of warmth in your heart. When you hear of who Christ is, when you consider the season we are entering, maybe for the first time, he's beginning to come into view. If you feel a strange warming in your heart today, 
I would love to pray for you. So if there is anyone, I would love you just to, in a moment of privacy and intimacy before the Lord, to lift your hand, that I can pray for you and with you, that I can join Jesus who's praying for you right now. Amazing, thank you. And I would love to pray for us all, Jesus. May you give us your spirit anew that we might be able to perceive you like Mary did. That amidst the routine of the, the calendar, we would experience something so much more. The power of your presence with us. And so for those who lifted their hands and for us who have done so before, we ask that you would give us eyes to see Jesus Christ this Advent season. And for my friends who are, who are beginning to feel that, that warmth of the glow of the divine in their hearts, I thank you for courage to open their hearts to receive Jesus Christ as Lord that they would join their voices to the core of the saints that Christ has indeed come. The Savior has come. All will be okay. And this morning, Father, we have participated at your table of grace. We have taken communion. We have declared that it is Christ's body that has been broken for us, that we might be made whole. It is the blood of Jesus that has been shed on the cross for us, that we might be made whole. We have participated. And now I pray that together, shoulder to, sh shoulder to shoulder, we would be like Mary and Elizabeth as we wait for your return. And we would be a people who praise. And a people who take the good news and ponder it and treasure it and store it up in our hearts. We ask Holy Spirit that it would grow and ferment amongst us increasing in power and potency, increasing in wealth, not because you change, but because the value we ascribe to you just increases as we gaze upon your beauty. We declare that we love you. We thank you that you have come. And we thank you that we wait as those who are filled with hope and great expectation. Thank you that we are a pregnant people with good news of great joy for all. Friends, we're going to sing Mary's song. Grace is amazing. She's learned this for us. But this is a modern rendition of Mary's song. And, and I would love to invite us to declare these praises to God. To declare that these promises that God has given to his people have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That he comes and he meets the lowly. That he lifts us up. That, that he, he is the one who holds all governments. And I pray that as we declare these praises, as we speak this truth, that you would behold the king and that your hearts would burn with love for the one who first loved you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. 
This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Thank you.